Well, good morning, Shore. Uh, my name is Jordan. If I haven't met you, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 5. We have two weeks left in our series on the Beatitudes. So Matthew 5, 8 is where we will be today. Uh, let me start by telling you a story of when I was playing college hockey in Minnesota. Okay, so every year before the season started, we had to get a physical done. All right, I'm sure many of you have had physicals before. And part of the physical was an eye examination. You know how they would have like that letter board with like the big E and then the letters get smaller? We would have to do one of those. One of the guys on our team was particularly nervous about this because he had terrible eyesight and he really did not want to get glasses. So what this guy did was every day, the week leading up to the physical, is he went into the trainer's room kind of faked a hamstring injury so he could sit in the trainer's room and examine and memorize this letter board. And so the day of the physical came and it's his turn. He steps up. He has no idea what's in front of him, but he's like E, F, J, M. He just nails this thing. And I don't, I don't really understand, but all of our teammates were like, oh, nice job, bro. You nailed that fist bumping. And I was like, is no one else concerned? This is our goaltender and he can't see anything. I was like, what is going on here? Eyesight is very important, especially for our goalie. Now, I don't think it's an overstatement for me to say that our vision is very important. In fact, I think when you think about the most memorable moments in your life, they're almost all tied to vision in some way. You know, maybe it's your spouse walking down the aisle or seeing the birth of your child, or seeing the smile on the face of a loved one. These are all beautiful things that come with eyesight. But as incredible as these moments are, what Jesus is about to tell us, what the scriptures tell us, is that there is a seeing that is beyond comparison, and that's seeing God himself. And here's the, here's the reality. When we pass from this world, okay, there's a split second that will happen, a divide in eternity, when we as believers will see the face of Jesus with our real eyes. We'll see him face to face. And in that second, we will experience more joy than all of the joys of life combined. But we don't have to wait for that moment to see God. Our text this morning is all about how we can see God now. It's going to tell us how we can have 2020 spiritual vision. So if you have your Bible, Matthew 5, verse 8, one sentence, but lots to unpack here. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so if you want to see God, if you want to see him, this is the text for you and to improve your spiritual vision. You want to see God in your everyday life? This is the text for us to dwell on and wrestle with. And so the big question I'm sure we all have right out of the gate then is what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the pure in heart? Specifically, What does he mean by pure? Because that's going to be key to this whole thing, okay? So the basic idea of purity is cleanness without being mixed with anything else, 
not having any outside mixture involved. The Greek word for pure that's used in the New Testament is often used to describe water that has nothing dirty within it. Think the freshest and cleanest water. The word is also used to describe metal that is perfect, that has no blemishes on it. And so what the word pure in our text means, and this will be foundational for everything this morning, is free from mixture or outside element. Daryl Johnson puts it this way. He says the word pure in the Greek is katharos. It means to be clean. It means unmixed, unalloyed, unadulterated, as in pure gold or pure maple syrup. Pure in heart, therefore, means unmixed at the center, unalloyed at the center, unadulterated at the center. And so if we look back to our text now, we can read it that Jesus is saying, blessed are those who have an unmixed, single-minded pursuit of Jesus. The majority of commentators on this verse will say the idea is singleness of heart or having an undivided heart. There is only one focus for your root and source of joy and salvation, and it's Jesus alone. James references this in chapter 4 when he says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying if you want to purify your hearts, you cannot be double-minded. You can't be triple-minded. We are to be single-minded. In other words, get rid of every other mixture within your hearts, everything else that you're pursuing, and focus on one thing, God alone. And if you're, if you're married in here or thinking about being married, our marriages should be a picture of this. We are to be single-minded in our relationship with our spouse, okay? I am hers and hers alone. She is mine and mine alone. You want that relationship to flourish as it was designed to be, then you are to be single-minded, seeking only your spouse, And so it is when it comes to who we worship. There is no room for any others if we want this benefit of seeing God. How many of you can relate with this experience? I had this happen to me about two weeks ago. I won't won't throw anyone under the bus here, but you're talking to someone, you're emotionally invested in the conversation, your eyes are locked in on theirs, you're being vulnerable, you're sharing, and the whole time they're just like, "Mm." and they're kind of looking around the coffee shop, checking out, maybe go on their phone a little bit, and they're showing you that they're really not that interested in you. They're more interested in like, what's going on on my story here? They're revealing mixed motivations, mixed focus, and how does that make you feel in the moment? Pretty unimportant, right? So it is when we're double-minded in our pursuit. And so positively stated, what Jesus is saying here is you are to be 
if you are pure in heart, focused on God alone, absorbed completely with God, concentrating upon God, sincere and invested in your relationship with God. That's the kind of person that Jesus says, blessed. And remember, we can, we can take out blessed, we can put in approved. Jesus says this kind of person is approved. They're in sync with how I live my life. And this is really, for me anyways, a searching statement, a revealing beatitude, because what's our problem? We search for and give attention to the wrong things all the time. Maybe it's just me. Like, does this sound familiar? Oftentimes, I want to think about God. I want to focus in and work on my relationship with God, but all of a sudden, I'm thinking about everything else. All kinds of distractions come to mind. And so for me, this idea of a single-minded pursuit of God is a revealing, heart-penetrating thing when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart because it reveals where I'm double-minded when I ought to be single-minded. And the real depth of this comes when Jesus adds the next part, when he says, in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Because in heart, in a biblical sense, is really the totality, the essence of our existence. It's the core of who we are. What we think, how we feel, how we make decisions, the totality of our personality is our heart. And Jesus is saying that is to be focused on God and God alone. So blessed are those who are pure, not only on the surface, not only externally for others to see, but at the center, at the core of our every being in every moment of our lives. Jesus says these are the people that are blessed. I do not approve of anything less than a purity and a singleness of heart. And when you think about that, isn't that the highest of high bars? Doesn't it almost seem like an unobtainable requirement No, just me? Like, pure in heart? That is a revealing, disruptive beatitude to my life because I don't know how you measure up, but I have trouble with this, especially when I think about the sinfulness within my heart. When I think about Jeremiah 17 that says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick, who can understand it? That's the heart that Jesus calls to be pure and devoted to him, one that is deceitful. Jesus leans into this in Mark 7 when he says there is nothing outside a person that by going into him that can defile him. No, but the things that come out of a person, what's already in there, are what defile him. Like, I could go on. I don't think I need to reference any more scriptures to make the point that our hearts are wicked. Really, all I have to do is look into my own heart 
and see my mixed motivations, my own lack of focus, my lack of concentration and pursuit. Here's, here's a take, here's a thought. If the thoughts and motives of your heart were suddenly broadcasted live on these screens, would you want to be in this room right now? And so in light of that, here's what we're all thinking. How is anyone going to make it? How is this even possible? Because if you've been paying attention at all to the Beatitudes, all of these qualities, all these characteristics are what Johnson calls unnatural human qualities. They're unnatural. It's not natural for us to be poor in spirit, to be mourning over our sin, to be humble, to be merciful, pure in heart. How is that even possible? Because this is beyond my strength and my reach. And to make it worse, which you're like, oh no. What Jesus is speaking about is perfection. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, just a few verses later, chapter 5, 48, Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the call on our lives? Like, how? How is this even possible? Because when we look at the Beatitudes, it's not hard for us to see that no one is perfectly poor in spirit. No one perfectly mourns over their sin. No one is perfectly meek. No one's perfectly merciful. Likewise, no one is perfectly pure in heart. So how? What Jesus is doing here when he, when he gives these beatitudes is he's doing some serious deconstruction to the world around him, particularly to the religious leaders, the Pharisees who were in the crowd, those who thought they had everything spiritual figured out. He's saying to them, saying to them you think that you obey the law perfectly and you earn favor by all of your ceremonial qualifications? Well, not only do you not perfect that, but check out these beatitudes and see how you measure up because no one measures up to this. And so the call is to perfection and my response again is how? How is this possible? Here's how. The Beatitudes are meant to be a call on our lives. Not only for striving after perfection in this life, but ultimately, most importantly, most <sighs> exhale-worthy, a call for us to fall on our faces before Jesus and say, I can't, but you can. That's how.
Amen. When Peter, the disciple Peter, first meets Jesus, you can read about this in Luke 5, he is suddenly aware of how impure he is. He falls on his face before Jesus and he says, get away from me, I am filthy, I'm a sinner, leave me alone. And there's a beautiful play by um, a guy named Stephen Waldschmidt, who's a Regent College student. He wrote a play that included that scene. And in the play, he had the dialogue play out as such. Peter fell on his face before Jesus. And he said, go away from me, Jesus, because I will make you dirty. To which Jesus replied, no, Peter. You will not make me dirty. I will make you clean. And that's the only thing that we can possibly do here is throw ourselves upon the feet of Jesus and ask for him to work in us by his power and not our own. It begins really with the first beatitude. We confess that we are poor in spirit. We declare spiritual bankruptcy and we ask for him to implant and incept within us the power of his kingdom in our lives, to incept the qualities of the beatitudes in us because we can't do it ourselves. And so a point of qualification we need to remember here is that nobody perfectly models this. But if you are a believer, if you've given your life to Jesus, then the qualities, the characteristics of the Beatitudes should be present in your life. Hear me now, even if those qualities are not being perfected, but a desire for them has been implanted within you and you have a desire to want more of them. Remember to two weeks ago, it's not blessed are those who are righteous, It's blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. And so we strive for perfection as Jesus has called us, yes, but we don't have to be perfect because Jesus was perfect on our behalf. Is there anything more freeing than that, honestly? And so this morning, if you look into your heart and you do not see any semblance of a desire for this single-minded pursuit and devotion to Jesus, not perfection, but a desire, then because I love you, I would tell you to take a good long look into your heart, see where you're double, triple, quadruple-minded, see what you're really chasing, and ask, is that actually satisfying me? Because the offer to see God is on the table today. This single-minded pursuit, this purity of heart, is a characteristic of those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. It's the character of those whom Jesus says, blessed are you, approved are you, in sync with me are you. And so how it plays out is God demands the humanly impossible 
then by the strength of the Holy Spirit, he gives it to us and sets it up as a continual desire and goal in life to be single and devoted to him. And when we do that, he also gives us the impossible, incomparable 2020 spiritual vision of God. Let's look back at our beatitude. We'll notice the benefit here. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, remember, like the other Beatitudes, whenever he says they, or sometimes theirs, that is emphatic, meaning they and they alone. Only this type of person shall see God. Only the pure in heart and the pure in heart alone will see God. And and so, This is not just an eternity thing, though it's absolutely an eternity thing, which we will get into, but it's a continuous thing that begins the moment you are pure in heart. And what that means is that it's possible in this life to see God now. Like that is mind blowing. We can see God now. Like, how does it even make sense? Like, I don't know if it's gonna be like Moses seeing a reflection of him, but it plays out in a multitude of different ways that we see God. Uh, This is how Daryl Johnson puts it. He says, I do not know what we will see, but whatever Jesus is promising, I want it. Whatever is involved in seeing God, I want it. What is clear is that we will see when we see God is more beautiful than anything he has made. The beauty of his handiwork cannot compare with beauty himself. And so we'll see him in a multitude of ways. But for us, I think there's three main ways we see him, though there's probably infinite ways that God reveals himself. I see three main ways for us. The first way is we see him in his word. When you pursue God, when you have a single-mindedness, these are not just words on paper. They jump off the page for you in a whole new way. Um, When I I became a believer, I was uh, in my mid-teens, so I started going to church. You know, I dabbled a little bit as a kid, didn't really care too much about what was going on. I read the Bible here and there. There was a phrase that stood out to me that just drove me crazy because it made no sense, and it was the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And I, I was like, what? as a little kid, like, what does that mean? Jesus is a, my only concept of lambs was like lamb chops play along. So I was like, this is a song, you know? But I, I couldn't comprehend what he meant, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And so when I gave my life to Jesus, when I began this single-minded pursuit of him in my mid-teens, not long after, I started attending a youth group on the North Shore. And this is so weird. Um, The youth pastor, the very first time I went, dressed up in a giant sheep costume. Okay, like that's weird. I'm not gonna do that. He dressed up in a giant sheep costume. He walked on stage and he goes, I'm the lamb of God. I'm going to sacrifice myself for your sins. And then another actor came up as Jesus shoved the lamb off the stage and said, no, save the lamb. I'm the Lamb of God. I'm going to sacrifice myself for your sins. And for whatever reason, I got it. It made sense. 
the Lamb of God jumped off the page for me in a whole new way that I could see Jesus as my sacrificial death, as my Savior. And so as believers, when we're pure in heart, we see God in his word. It comes to life for us in a whole new way. We also see God in creation. In one of the most artistic psalms, Psalm 29, David has been outside watching a thunderstorm move across the land. And in the storm, David says that he sees God. He says he sees God in the thunder, in the lightning, in the water. And so as believers, enlightened by the scriptures, creation acts for us as a glimpse of the hand of God at work. And not only do we see God in word and in creation, but I think most of the time we see him in life, particularly the difficult circumstances. Like think about Job. If you don't know anything about Job, he he had more of a roller coaster of emotions life than we could ever possibly imagine. He could look back at his life and he knew that the only way he got through any of that was because of God's strength within him. And look what Job says near the end of his life in Job 42. He says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job says, I see you, Lord. I see now that the only way I got through any of that was because of you. And so, practically speaking, when we apply this beatitude to our lives, we realize that the more pure our heart is, the more single-minded we are, the more we're concentrated and fixated upon God, the more we will see him everywhere around us. The pure in heart see mysteries of grace and love which are hidden from the eyes of the unclean heart. It's like when Jesus tells his parables, some people have no idea what's going on and some understand it fully. The purer our hearts, the more they're focused on God, the more we will get out of his word the more we will get out of creation, the more we will get out of the events of life. That's why two people reading or experiencing the exact same thing can have totally opposite reactions because of the level of the purity of heart. It also means, and I referenced this earlier, that we will we will, as believers, see God face to face when we pass from this life. In that, in that split second, that divided second in eternity, scriptures tell us that we will experience more joy than all of the joys of this life combined. It's not even worth comparison. It, like, it's not an overstatement for me to say that that will be one of the most in- 
will be the most incredible thing we will ever experience, that we will see God face to face. Like my little, tiny, finite brain can't even comprehend that, but that will be the greatest event in our existence when we see God. And so with that in mind, think of the totality of our beatitude. It reads like this. Blessed, approved by God, are those whom are pure in heart, who have a single-minded, unmixed heart for God, for they alone shall see God. Not just now, in everyday moments of life, though you will absolutely see him now, but also continuously into eternity. And it's a revealing beatitude. It forces us to examine the state of our hearts, which is really a beautiful thing. Do we have a purity of heart? I'm not asking, are you perfect? I'm not asking, is your heart always pure? But do you have an undivided pursuit of God in your heart? And more importantly, do you desire that? We don't have to be perfect. Jesus was perfect for us. But do you desire that? The real tragedy for for human beings, really since our existence, is that the cure for spiritual blindness has been in the palm of our hands for our entire lives. But rather than having that 2020 spiritual vision, we're content with being blind and chasing sight elsewhere. Like, imagine that practically. Imagine being physically blind. Someone offers you the cure. It's in your hand, and you refuse to take it and instead just wander in the darkness. I got it. I'm good. I don't want that for you. Jesus, more importantly, doesn't want that for you. This purity of heart is a miracle of the Holy Spirit within us. It begins with us throwing ourselves upon the grace of God. It's all from him. He takes your heart of darkness, gives you a heart of light. He takes out your blind seeing eyes and gives you new eyes that can see. It's all from Jesus. We realize that only God can make you pure. But the thing is, that doesn't mean we're meant to be passive in this whole thing. Okay, only God can make me pure. It's waiting around. No. We are to work in our faith, not to earn his favor. His favor is already upon us because of the work on the cross. The book of James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And if I could summarize this whole thing, the biblical balance of it all is that I must do everything I possibly can but at the same time realize that it's not going to be enough and ultimately only God can do it.
In 1 John, we read, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we, we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so do you hope in him? Because if you do, we just read, it will be transforming to our lives and we will be pure as Jesus is pure. And wherever you're at in all this, as we've been saying since Beatitude 1, when you approach God about the state of purity in your heart, you will be met with kindness and patience and grace. And so may God be in sight of us all. May he and he alone purify our hearts. And may he give us 2020 vision of him. Let's stand together and let's respond to the text. So in just a moment, we'll respond as we do um, each week in a, in a number of different ways. The first way is going to be through singing, through worship, through giving God praise for who he is. We're also going to respond through communion. And you'll notice under your seats there, you have uh, individually packed communion cups. And I would just encourage you to not be in a rush to take that. To do some wrestling with God about the purity of your heart. To, to seek him this morning. To ask, Lord, where is my heart double-minded? What else am I looking to? And when you repent of that this morning, you will be met with grace. And he will make your heart perfect because of his perfect love. And when you're ready, take the bread which represents Jesus' body broken for you and the juice which represents his blood spilt for you and remember the finished work on the cross. That is the finished work that purifies our heart, that allows us to see him. And so don't be in a rush. Take it slow. Maybe you want to have someone pray for you next to you. But do some wrestling here because Jesus is very clear that only this type of person shall see God, the pure in heart. So let Jesus purify your heart this morning. And then we'll respond through giving. If you are a regular attender of the shore, you can give online. Um, but if you're just visiting, we're just so glad you're here. Please don't give. Let me pray for us. And so, Father, we just, um, we thank you for your finished work on the cross. We thank you for the freeing reality that we do not have to be perfect because you have been perfect for us. And just how that sets us free and ultimately gives us a way to come to you without your perfect work on the cross. There's no way for us to get to you. But like you said to Peter, you will make us clean. 
And so I, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here this morning that you would just help them just do the difficult, beautiful work of self-examination, of just wrestling with the state of their heart. And would you meet them with grace and kindness? I pray against any condemnation this morning that would tell them that they're not forgiven, that they're not good enough. That's a lie. You paid the price to remove that lie on the cross, Lord. So would you, the power of your blood spilt just remove that from us. We need you so desperately. We just pray that the state of our hearts, the state of the shore, would that we would just be a people that falls upon our faces daily and say, we can't, but you can. So help us, Father. We need you. We need you. We need you. We pray all these things in your beautiful name. Amen.